Hello, everyone. This is Wes Perdine of the 551 Podcast. Um, I have an interview for you this week. Uh, we're talking to Eric Miller from Nashville uh, FC um, and uh, formerly, obviously, of Minnesota United. Um, and uh, he's been one of my favorite uh, players to interview over the over the years because uh, he's just kind of a smart guy to talk to. Um, uh, not awkward, uh, which some some players are. Uh, most players are really tough to interview. So uh, I've interviewed him, I think, three or four times over the years. Uh, back when uh, he was at Montreal, I think, uh, with uh, with the Dunord football show with Bruce, we interviewed him. And, uh, and then I've interviewed him several times since. So um, it's kind of great to catch up with him and figure out how his quarantine's going and just how he's keeping sane. I hope that you are all um, doing the same and uh, figuring out how to do that. Um, I am only partially. So uh, if this podcast is hit or miss uh, in terms of what or how often we produce, uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll be forgiving. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll we'll have something in the next week. Uh, I, I think uh, maybe we'll bring back the uh, the five random five dudes just talking over drinks on Zoom. So um, please uh, let me know if there's other people you'd like to hear from. Um, sometimes I can make it work. Uh, sometimes I already know if it's going to be a good or bad interview, but, um, there's a few people on my mind, but I don't have a lot in the queue. That's all I'll say. Now let's listen to Eric Miller. I'm pleased to be joined uh, by Eric Miller, who's a fullback for uh, Nashville FC um, after a stint with NYCFC, uh, a native of Woodbury. He went to Creighton University, which has produced several Minnesota players over the years. Um, and then he was drafted uh, by Colorado Rapids. He's best known for being uh, married to former Boston Breakers defender Cassie Coleman and being the daughter of Blackheart of St. Paul regular Sue Miller. Um, Eric, you are the you've you the most uh, common guest uh, player on on uh, on this podcast. Uh, so welcome back. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad that you can you can get on this podcast a lot by being famous by association. You know, I'm glad <laughs> that my bar tabs are high and that I have Cassie to, to keep carrying my on her back. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you you got to ride the coattails somehow. Um, let me let me ask. Uh, start by asking you how how are you doing during the quarantine? What's 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 it been like? Uh, it's been an interesting time for sure for me. I think for a lot of the players in the MLS, it feels a little bit like the off season, except you should be playing right now and you already had the off season. So you're much more rested mentally and physically and all that stuff. So it's just a lot of working out by yourself, a lot of trying to stay connected with your team kind of in any way possible. And then like everybody else in the world, I think it's just trying to fill that, that extra time with cooking or reading or watching shows or, or kind of doing whatever you can. Yeah. Has it been... It would you say that your kind of uh, state is, uh, you know, frustrated or bored or, uh, you know, how would you describe yourself these days? I would say my state is a little bit bored. I think obviously there's some sense of frustration for me, but I also understand that this is a very necessary thing right now and that playing soccer in full stadiums would not be an intelligent decision for anyone involved. So I think, Originally, I was probably more frustrated than I am now. I think now I've kind of come to the realization that this is what we shall be doing and that it's really important that we're all doing uh, these things, social distancing, all that different stuff. So I think for me, it's become more 
a little bit of a sense of boredom. I think like a lot of players we discussed with MLSPA, I think it's a good time that most players will never have where it's just kind of a reset button in terms of like, are your personal finances in order? Are you possibly, can you do career development stuff right now? I just started doing Duolingo for Spanish a couple weeks ago. So I think it's kind of about maybe some of that stuff that you had in your back burner that you weren't necessarily doing. Uh, It's kind of time to do that stuff and hopefully you don't run out of it before the end of this thing. Um, What's you you mentioned kind of the, the team trying to connect or whatever. What's the, other than kind of getting your, here's my workout routine or whatever, how do you guys connect? How do you kind of um, do that? Is there like a whole team uh, Zoom uh, call that you guys get on? Yeah, so I think it's it's very varied across the league in terms of how different teams are doing stuff. I think here in Nashville, we've done some really cool stuff. So we, we got these things called whoop bands, um, which you basically wear on your wrist 24-7, that monitors your sleep, your workouts, kind of just the entire day for you and kind of how much they call it your strain um, from how much your heart rate's moving up and down. So we got those pretty early on. And then from that, our uh, strength and conditioning coach built out a leaderboard. So every day you see the top 10 guys who put in the hardest training or lifting or running or whatever they were doing. Um, so that's been kind of a fun way for guys to see what everyone else is doing, how everyone else is staying involved. Um, we do Zoom recovery sessions on the weekends. We get together for about 30 to 45 minutes and our strength and conditioning coaches run a little recovery thing where you get to see everyone check in really quick. Um, then another interesting thing that we did this last week was our head coach sent us um, the entirety of the Liverpool Atletico second leg game um, from Champions League a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and there's a bunch of questions about the game and you're just supposed to watch the game basically and, and take some notes and, and try to answer the question as best you could. And I think that's was a cool thing that I've never really done before. I mean, I've watched a lot of soccer, but rarely with discussion prompts waiting at the end. So I think that kind of stuff is, is useful to do right now to kind of see where your, where your mind's at and to make sure that you're still kind of staying engaged in the game. Have you guys tried, uh, you know, I did this recently with a friend, so maybe, maybe, maybe this is a suggestion for you. Um, there's Netflix party where you can uh, all sync up uh, something on Netflix and then, uh, you know, uh, discuss it as it's going. Um, we did that with um, Sunderland Till I Die, which uh, which I, you, you could probably all do and uh, all just kind of roll your eyes at, at, uh, at CEOs of, uh, of soccer teams or something like that. That's, that's just that or Tiger King, I guess everyone's been doing. So I, I think we've all already watched Tiger King, unfortunately, <laughs> but I think my mom actually just started the second season of the Sunderland thing and she never knows what actually happens, which is great. So she's kind of living yeah. by the moment. She has no idea how things actually end up, which is, which is fantastic. I haven't watched the second season, but the first one was, was a great watch for sure to kind of see their culture and kind of all that stuff over there. Yeah, I mean, the, watching that show makes makes you just wish you could see it for for all of the the team, or maybe not want to see it for all the teams, just because you you know that this is not the only team with with guys coming up with crazy dumb ideas. And, but <laughs> that, that's beside the point. Let me let me just ask you this: um, being in a new city is tough enough, um, but kind of being in Nashville, where you you know both of you you're you're new and um, now you're kind of cooped up. Um, in your, in your house, uh, has that, I assume that hasn't made things any easier kind of being in a new place. No, I think for me, the most important thing to consider is that it snowed six inches in Minneapolis on the weekend and we have no snow here right now. So this place is a little bit easier to survive this period of time where you can go outside and and be comfortable for sure. But I mean, the first few months here we had new expansion team, 
tornado hit the city and then pretty quickly after that um this pandemic that we're all still dealing with so it's been been a lot of of moving pieces and a lot of crazy events that happened kind of in the first half of this year so i think slowly trying to recover from all that's been been important i think here it's really sad for all the businesses and in places that were were hit by the tornado and, and tried to recover quickly and then now they're kind of going through this period so i think some of that stuff makes you feel a little bit part of the community because you're all kind of uh, collectively struggling together and collectively trying to get through um, whether it's a tornado or a pandemic or all that stuff. And I think that makes you definitely feel a sense of community. And I think we felt that especially after the tornado here, but it certainly makes it more difficult to get out and explore. Obviously you can't go and try new restaurants or bars or new places to go. So I think that part makes it difficult but we've we've been doing our best to try to uh try to finish our move up which is good i think yeah. people that move around know that it takes way longer than you hope to move all your stuff in and become fully settled and we're probably not not quite there yet but we're we're getting close and probably closer than we would have been without all this extra free time um before all the craziness um how was the the kind of lead up getting involved with with nashville and and starting the new starting the you know the the first season how how, how was that going um yeah it was pretty crazy um i absolutely uh, or maybe not obviously but i got my option declined in new york city so i didn't really know um where i was gonna end up the next year i felt like i had a good chance to stay in the league and, and to find a team that would that would take me on and i feel like my agent felt that way as well so it was just kind of a waiting game in the off season i was actually in europe with cassie um for like a 10-day trip before the re-entry draft was scheduled to take place so I was trying to do like FaceTime audios and Skype calls with my agent because there's been some things kind of in the works and trying to figure everything out. And then I think um, we were in France and my agent reached out and told me that he thought Nashville would be interested. So I talked to Mike Jacobs. I talked to Gary. They both seemed like really good guys. And I found out that they are really good guys too, which is great. Um, and they seemed interested. So they just tried to kind of figure that process out for the reentry draft. Um, and then we literally were flying home about four hours before the re-entry draft was supposed to take place. Some agent called me, kind of told me what was going to happen, uh, and then landed in Minneapolis like eight hours later from Dublin, and I was a Nashville SC player. So I think it was it was obviously really nice for me. I've never actually moved that early in the offseason, so it gives you a lot more time to figure everything out whenever I've been traded before. Um, it's always been during the season where you've been in market, so it's like, hey, pack all your stuff. You've got two days to go. Um, <laughs> And this is my first time where it was really like, hey, season starts in a month and a half, plenty of time, find a place to live, get yourself settled in. So that was definitely a much nicer aspect of, of switching teams. And then preseason was was really good. We have an awesome group of guys, um, one of the better locker rooms that I've been a part of, which has been great. Everyone's very down to earth, willing to work. Um, and that's kind of a byproduct of, of the way our staff goes about things. I think that's what they expect out of every player, and they've done a good job finding players who, who fit that mold. And I think um, preseason was, was good. Obviously there's ups and downs with an expansion team um, going through, trying to fit everyone together, trying to figure out what your best lineup is, who your best players are, kind of how things are going to fit together. So I think first two MLS games, we gave a pretty good account of ourselves. I think to go toe to toe with Atlanta in the manner that we did in our first ever game was a good spot. We we're obviously all disappointed to, not at least take something out of that game but I think to go into that game to find out how well we could play at that level um, was a really good sign and obviously 
Portland was a similar thing where we kind of left the game feeling like we should have taken more out of it. Um, had a relatively good road performance where we controlled a lot of the game, had a lot of the ball. Um, and I think if we can continue to do that whenever um, MLS hopefully resumes, I think we're going to find ourselves in a, in a pretty good ex- position for an expansion team. Yeah, well, um, Minnesota fans are, are certainly uh, well-versed in uh, what it's like to to have your first few games in the or season or two seasons in the uh in mls so <laughs> that sounds very very familiar although it, it you know your first two games as 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 you mentioned disappointing as as they were uh certainly went a bit better than uh than things went for for us um before um you know before i kind of get into that i'm kind of curious if there were are there players that you played with before that you're reconnecting with in, in Nashville or or people that you just knew really well um so I've <laughs> as I enter my journeyman status throughout MLS I end up playing with almost every player or someone that knows that <laughs> player so it's been fun here because I feel like we have a discussion about a player and I'll just be talking like yeah I know that guy people are like how do you know that guy this guy's been on the league for five years and I'm like oh I knew him from either player association stuff or playing with someone that played with him or kind of all that stuff so I think I played with uh, Dave Romney with the U23s before. Um, he's one of my pretty good buddies on the team. Um, I knew Dax really well through MLS PA stuff. He's kind of always been a, a pretty involved guy, and obviously I have been as well. Um, I knew Matt LaGrossa, who was a USL guy, from another former roommate of mine in Montreal who played with him in college. So I think that as you, even for someone like me, I think everyone kind of knows that soccer is a pretty small world and that this person knows that person that you played with or this person was coached by that person or went to college with this person. So I think it's cool to kind of, kind of build those relationships with up. And I think for me, that's, that's one of the cool parts of having been on a bunch of different MLS teams now is like, I know a ton of guys I've built, I think pretty good relationships with a lot of guys around the league. And then obviously as you continue to travel around, you meet more and more guys and, and you get kind of different life experiences with those guys. And I think our team so far has been, been really fun to be a part of. I think we have, like I said, a hard working group. Um, but it's just been, it's been a lot of fun to be around the group and to kind of get to know 27 other new guys and kind of experience this thing all together. Yeah. Well, you, I, I just, I had forgotten about, uh, that you originally went to Montreal impact. You didn't, you didn't, you kindly did not correct my, uh, my introduction here. Um, I, 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 point, there's, there's a lot to keep track of for me, so I, I, I give you a little credit there. Well, I feel like five clubs in a career, you know, in a career is, is in MLS is not quite journeyman status. You have, you have not quite hit, Kai Kamara level here or uh but you know you can you can always well actually don't always hope that way you can actually stay in one place for a little bit <laughs> um uh I, I wanna I'm curious uh, about um you know in terms of betting in or whatever what kind of captain and leader what style is uh Dax is it like cult leader frat president wiser wizened elder statesman what where does he uh, find I actually, I think Dax has a, has a good combination of all those things. He actually reminds me a lot of Sam Cronin. Okay. For people that were familiar with mm-hmm. Minnesota, he is obviously plays similar position, but just really similar mannerisms. Um, super, super professional. Not a huge talking guy, but like when something needs to be said, we'll say something. He's a huge lead by example guy, which for me personally, that's always been something I respect a lot. Um, and for an older guy, I think he he's very willing to share his experiences now. And obviously he's played uh, some insane amount of MLS games that he can kind of build on. He's been on a lot of good teams and had success in different places, which I think is, is cool to see as well. But I think 
one of the things that I really respect about Sam Cronin that Dax, as I get to know him more and more, has a similar part of him. He's not afraid to, to have a good time or to joke around or kind of do that stuff. So I think he does a really good job of kind of realizing when it's time to be professional and time to work hard. And then there's times to obviously relax and hang out and, and have a bit of fun, which I think is, is something that both those two guys have in common. And they're two guys that, I mean, I've only played with Dax for a couple months now, but I definitely respect him a lot. And Sam Cronin is one of my favorite teammates of all time. So I think Dax is in, is in pretty good company there being uh, related to him. In terms of now that um, there's the BSI podcast with, uh, with Benny Sal and Ike that um, gets the, older i assume you've listened to this correct is that do you, do you i've know? listened many times yeah okay all right uh now that they've like uh entered into the world where uh they get um uh you know especially when they get the elder statesman um mls players on there to tell kind of the crazy stories like uh the alan gordon uh episode was was particularly just wild um I'm wondering uh is there a player um you've played with over the years who you're just like my God, this person has the stories where you, you just kind of want to sit back and, and just be like, all right, tell me about Thierry Henry or tell, you know, whatever it is. Is there is there a player who you, who you would just sit by the campfire and try to get as many stories from as possible? Gordo. I, I played with Gordo in uh, Colorado for one year. Um, and he is definitely in a, a category of his own. I mean, that podcast itself was incredible and that was I think tame versions of most of those stories and <laughs> probably only 2% of everything he actually has or that he remembers or all that different stuff. So in my one year with Gordo, I will say he is number one, just a fantastic storyteller. And number two has been a major character and a lot of fascinating stories, I think throughout the years. Um, he also, when he was in Colorado was with Bobby Burling and Sam Cronin, and they were all on the Bash Bros Quakes teams together. Um, which I think they often described as the wild, wild west. Yeah. Uh, I think the, I mean, just listening to some of the stories from MLS in the mid 2000s. I mean, it was an entirely different league with guys that were honestly just mostly trying to have a good time, not make a lot of money and <laughs> kind of just do that. So I think as we kind of grow and MLS gets um, more and more quality with more and more financial resources, it's really, really interesting. I remember whenever Gordo, I mean, he was 30, six or 37 i think when he was in colorado and just to have him share experiences of when he was 20 years old with the kids that were 20 years old in the rapids locker room because mm -hmm. what the league looked like what was going on was just totally different um so i think gordo's for sure uh in a class of his own uh keith pierce who was also on the podcast um i played with him in montreal my rookie season and he was another really really good storyteller and he's obviously been I think he has 30 something caps to the US. So he had a lot of good stories about the national team. He played in Europe. So he had some great stories about that. And then he was also in MLS and a bunch of different places for a while. Um, and he was, he was a great guy to be around as well that had a lot of really funny, interesting stories that had been in a lot of different places and experienced a lot in the entire world of soccer. Um, let me jump back to, to Minnesota in your time here. You came to the club and it was a kind of a great story of returning to the hometown to be part of the, the, opening a new stadium. Um, so I guess just talk to me about your time back with the club and that, that chance to kind of be there uh, and, and be part of uh, um, opening that stadium. Yeah, I think for me, um, when I was kind of slowly seeing that Minnesota was going to be an MLS team, that was slowly 
becoming real, it was always something that I wanted to do, um, to come home and play in Minnesota. And it was always a dream of mine, I think, when I realized that they were going to have an MLS team to have the opportunity to play in front of my family um, and obviously the Coleman family as well, who is my family too now. So I think for me and Cassie to be able to go live in Minnesota and for me to be part of a really cool part of the club's history um, with kind of the transition out of TCF into the new stadium was was really, really cool. Um, I think to be a kid that grew up in Minnesota and to see Allianz, where it is, how beautiful it is, what a great job they did, and kind of see the support that the team has gotten in a way that I would have never imagined um, from growing up there. But it's been really, really cool to just see the culture of soccer develop in the Twin Cities, kind of see how the club's grown. And it was it was really cool for me to be a part of that process. Um, Obviously, it didn't work out fantastic for me on the field. I got a, a decent amount of games for a couple of moments there, but I think it kind of made sense for me to move on. And the club was kind of really nice about allowing me to go find another place to play. Um, but overall, it was great. I think for me to kind of be able to check off playing in front of my family and friends for however long it was. And I think the other thing that was really cool, too, for me and Cassie is that, as many people know, the Colmans, there's a ton of them and they're all having a ton of children. So it was really fun to be around our nieces and nephews while they're growing up and to see birthday parties every weekend and just kind of be around in a way that when you're not living at home, you take for granted a little bit. I know now we're always bummed when we miss a birthday party or we're just not around for a Miller Sunday dinner or something like that. And I think having that year and a half to kind of just spend a lot of really good quality time with both of our families was, was amazing. Yeah. So you, you did kind of find yourself outside the starting lineup. Uh, did, you pushed for a move. Is that, is that, of what you were indicating so, yeah i think like, um i think both parties realized uh that it was probably not a great fit obviously roman was yeah. fantastic and is a fantastic right back and then as chase kind of became uh a really good player and as he continues to develop into becoming i think a really really good player that's going to play in mls for a long time i think i was never going to be a super long-term solution at left back but sure. i was able to fill in when needed and i think the emergence of him and obviously hasani as well i think when hasani show that he had some ability to play right back, even if that isn't necessarily his best position. Whoever knows what that is right now, because yeah. he's really good at a lot of them. Um, I think at that point, it was kind of an interesting time for me to move on. Uh, New York City actually was kind of in a weird position where they had uh, a youth international named Joe Scally, who I believe had hip surgery and wasn't going to be available for the entire rest of the season. And he was kind of their backup fullback. They obviously have Tanner Holm, who starts every week there and is a really, really fantastic player as well. Probably one of the best two or three, if not the best, right backs in MLS. Um, and they kind of presented it like, hey, look, you can come here. You're not going to start every game, but we have a huge fixture congestion. We're going to need to rotate the team um, and see where it goes. And so they were really, really nice about kind of helping me figure out my situation there. Obviously got a couple games, which is really fun. It was for me personally, amazing to play for Dome for four months because he was totally different than anything I'd experienced in MLS. Um, just constantly trying to play out of everything. And, and it was really fun to kind of see that training environment. And it was also my first time playing for a club that had insane resources. I mean, Minnesota now is kind of moving towards being, I think, a team that will spend and has the ability to spend now that the stadium is bringing in so much revenue for them. But New York City FC is probably one of the three or four biggest vendors in MLS consistently. And for me to see a training ground that was built with basically no budget and for 
players to basically get whatever they needed anytime was was really cool to be a part of. And I think I thought we had a really good chance of winning MLS Cup. Um, we kind of went on a little tear there at the end of the year and, and were really, really good. And then obviously um, not the greatest playoff performance, but it was a really cool experience for a, a short amount of time. I always tell people it kind of felt like I was studying abroad in New York because I got to go there. <laughs> For four months, I didn't really think it was going to be a long-term thing, but I got to kind of do all the cool New York City things that I'd never done before and, and eat at cool restaurants and go to cool museums and kind of do a bunch of different stuff that if you're just visiting for the weekend, you necessarily don't have all the time to do. So it was it was a really cool experience. Have you ever had the experience of um, being randomly, uh, being at a restaurant and someone randomly recognizing you, whether in Minnesota or, or anywhere? Um, very rarely. And Cassie, my wife, frequently reminds me of them because I get very embarrassed and awkward. Uh, but it's not a frequent thing. I would say the city it happened most in was Montreal, interestingly enough. Um, yeah. Because I think they have a really good culture for sports there. I think maybe in Minnesota, people are a little bit too polite to say anything to you is what I'd like to think for my ego. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not, it's not a very frequent thing. I think I'm not necessarily the most distinct looking person ever. I kind of fit in in the background of most of the places I'm in. So yeah. Um, uh, you're, you're a very, very good looking man. Don't, 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 uh, downplay it. Um, I appreciate that. uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about the clubs going from, you know, Montreal, Colorado, Minnesota, NYCFC, Nashville. There, those are, you know, you mentioned NYCFC's kind of, uh, endless budget and things like that, but those are also kind of very different clubs, even within the, um, not just, not just in spending level, but just, uh, cultures, um, is there a large difference you can see from the inside uh, of for a club that that has money or allocates money in certain ways, or has it been, you know, pretty much like uh, you know this a team is a team? Yeah, I think there's kind of two different sides, but I think no matter where you go in MLS, you're still in MLS. There's still rules on spending on whatever you can do, and there's obviously some sort of restrictions that are being placed upon the team in terms of what they can do, right? So I think from that standpoint, an MLS team is an MLS team, but then once you start to go individually to each team, you kind of realize how vastly different every marketplace is. And I think whether you're playing in Montreal and there's an insane fan support there, it's a super cool city to live in. feels like you're in Europe while you're there. So that's a very, very different feel. And just kind of the way they run things, I think is way more similar to a European club because that's kind of the world where a lot of their staff comes from. That's where a lot of their players come from. So they're definitely operating differently than Minnesota United. And then going from Montreal to Colorado, where Montreal, I saw Joey Saputo almost every week. He was hyper-involved, obviously really cares about the club, wants to be involved in a lot of decision-making. I think that's, that's awesome, right? When your owner cares that much and is very invested um, in how the club's doing, kind of wants to be a part of things. Whereas Colorado, you have Stan Kroenke, who who knows where he is. Do you right? think? He's, do you think he he knows uh, that Colorado Rapids exist? I think he has to know that. Yeah, unfortunately. But I remember. I mean, someone I know that played there for I think six years said they only saw him one time in the six years, and it was when the All Star game was there. So there's just the different levels of involvement, right? And then Kroenke, obviously, when I was there, started to spend a little bit more, made some investments in DPs, stuff like that. So you kind of started to see that grow a little bit. And obviously, when I was in Colorado, even if the ownership group wasn't necessarily on a daily basis, we still made a Western Conference final. So 
there's different ways to kind of be successful in MLS. Minnesota, I think, is is a more ownership involved place where kind of the first two years, I think there was a little bit less spending available. And then as things have grown and opened up with the new stadium, there's going to be, I would assume, more spending from the club in terms of the types of players they're acquiring, um, upgrading training grounds, different things like that. Um, so I think the shorter answer to your question is that while everyone is operating the same league, there is huge differences and you can definitely feel them as a player at the different clubs. Yeah. Now, I, I think the the eventual post-retirement interview um, that you and I do will be very different, but um, what have you seen at clubs that, that seems to really work in terms of, and, and then I'm, I'm curious about what doesn't, and you don't have to name names, but I'm, I'm just wondering what makes you succeed as a player um, that you've seen at a club where you're like, uh, you know, I definitely did not get this uh, at whatever club. And you, I, you don't have to, I'm not asking you to call out. I'm, I'm just curious about the, the habits or things they provide. Yeah, I think for me at the places I've been at, and I think it's actually varied from season to season and team to team where I've gone places where I felt this one way and then the next year it kind of changed over. And I think it's the cheesiest thing in the world, but culture is really important. And teams where the staff and the people that work in the front office are all kind of operating under the same culture and kind of all have the same understanding about how they're going to do business really translate. And it's so cheesy and it sounds like um, something that you can't like really tangibly feel, but you do honestly feel it. And when you see that your physical therapists and your marketing team are all working as hard as you, and they're all really taking this seriously and they're all really trying to make their situation and the club situation the best that they can. I think that resonates with players because I, I think that players, wherever you go, you want to do really well. You want to work super hard. And then when you see that everyone at the club is, is doing the same thing, I think that really kind of validates what you're doing and it makes you want to continue to work for those people. Um, I think when I was in Colorado, there was a lot of people in the front office who I would still consider friends because we kind of developed a relationship and, just kind of being able to have that relationship with them, I think kind of grows the entire club tighter. And I think it makes you want to work for them and it makes them want to take care of you in whatever situations that they can. I think that's obviously not a financial team thing that um, teams can buy, but I think, I mean, I'm talking to guys that played for the crew with Burr Halter, I think that was probably one of the places where culture was, was really, really important. And everyone at the club was expected to do things in a certain way all the time and work was going to be work and you're going to do things to the best of your abilities. And I think that kind of stuff resonates with players, whether it's, like I said, your teammates or your equipment manager or whoever it is at the club. When you see people working that hard, that makes you, I think, want to want to get back to the club as well. And, and culture then seems like the way, way you, you particularly see it is, um, is, is kind of a work ethic thing where we're all working hardest rather than, you know, seeing, seeing a culture of a club where, um, and tell me if I'm, I'm, is construing this culture at a club where um, perhaps um, you can visibly see people not putting in the effort or, or something like that. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, I think, I think it's a little bit of effort. And I think the main thing is that it's just like a focus on winning. I think yeah. everyone at the club has to just be singularly focused on, we're going to win as many games as possible. We're going to take this club as far as possible. And I think you can feel when, everyone at the club feels that way and that everyone at the club is kind of headed in the same direction. I think in Colorado, there was, they did a really good job of 
of taking their job really seriously, but not necessarily taking themselves really seriously. So they were more than willing to poke fun at themselves. It's not like this was like a hyper serious environment all the time, but when there was work to be done, the work got done in the best manner possible. And I think that resonated with players. And I think whenever you can kind of build that trust between everyone at a club where you're all trying to win a championship and trying to do as well as you can, that, that really resonates with players. Yeah. Um, so just to, to change to the last couple of subjects, but um, you've been heavily involved with the, the Players Union, Players Association over the years. Um, tell me about the, the process this time around for, um, for the negotiations that have happened over the winter. Because we spent a good part of the winter, well, we, uh, people on the outside, wondering if we'd have a season this year because of a strike. Turns out that, that uh, we didn't need a strike to, uh, to cancel everything. <laughs> but um, I, how was it this year, or the, this time around? Well, the, I mean, do you want the long version or the short version? That's the key. Uh, give me the long version. I got nowhere to be. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, and I hopefully whenever people listen to this, they feel, they feel the same way. So for us, um, we had obviously, or maybe not obviously, but we had done some degree of negotiating with MLS the season before this season. So we had kind of slowly come together, nothing very formal, but kind of figured out where each side was at, us trying to figure out where the league was at, what was going to be important to them, them trying to do the same with us. And I think that was super, super beneficial. And it kind of allowed us to get all our ducks in a row um, with our player reps. We're making sure that we were basically all buttoned up for when the negotiations came. that slowed down a little bit. And then kind of at the early stages of the off season, uh, we kind of re-entered more official negotiations. We had guys going out to DC or New York in small groups, MLSPAs in DC, New York is where the MLS's offices are. So we would have groups of five to I think 11 or 12 players at a time go out there to do some small group discussion stuff take part in the collective bargaining process. Um, if there was going to be an official meeting, um, we struggled with how in the off season to get players together, because we normally have every rep go to Vegas for um, a couple of days and just meet, see each other, talk, kind of get all our big picture discussions kind of done and get an opinion from everyone, which I think is very, very important. But with the nature of, the timeline we're on, we, we didn't do the Vegas trip that we normally do, which guys were, I think, very disappointed about. Uh, (laughs) And so instead we had these small groups go to DC and New York, which I think was, was really helpful because guys got to see what the negotiations look like when you're in the room with, whether it be some owners or the higher ups at MLS and our staff as well, kind of to see what the negotiations actually look and feel like, I think was, was great for a lot of guys. And then obviously that moved on. We had, um, I feel like pretty good momentum the entire time in terms of both sides wanting to make a deal. I think for me personally, and I think a lot of players in MLS feel this way is this was the first time when MLS maybe viewed us as a partner more than an adversary. And I think we kind of felt the same way where, look, we both want the league to grow. We both want to invest significant amounts of money into the league. And we just kind of have to figure out where that's going to go. And I think MLS is reaching a point where they realize to get where they want to go, they obviously have to spend significantly and they are now bringing in enough money to do so in a healthy manner. That's going to be stable for the long-term health of the league. Um, So negotiations kind of continued on. 
there was a couple of bumps in the road that I think worried some players. Um, a couple meetings, collective bargaining sessions that didn't go necessarily how we thought they were going to go. And then I believe this was maybe the second week of preseason. I was in um, Bradenton at IMG and we had a phone call. We had some guys that were in DC meeting with, I believe there was a two or three owners from MLS there. A couple of our e-board guys were there and then the staff and it was basically like, Hey, look, um, these guys want to make a deal. They want to make a deal now. Can we figure out where to, how to, how to get there and what's the path to getting to a deal look like? And it was a lot of calls over the next 36 hours where I didn't get a lot of sleep trying to update my team. I'm on the executive board. So you have three teams that basically you deal with and try to have communications with the small group calls. So talking to all those guys, trying to figure stuff out. Um, and then eventually it kind of got to the point where we were really happy with the deal. They were really happy with the deal. And it was kind of one of those things where I think a lot of players involved in the PA and a lot of players around the league were like, holy cow, like, is this like real? Like, can we get all of this stuff? Because we kind of entered into this thing saying, hey, this is where we want to go. These are our objectives, whatever. And to actually achieve almost all of them, if not all of them, was was an amazing thing that, especially guys that had been around for past negotiations, I don't think they thought it was possible. But I think the organization of MLSPA, the amount of staff we have, how player reps are working with their teams has been, been totally different since the last CBA. And I think it's been a huge growth period for MLSPA where we're now a pretty well-organized operation that, that can do a good job in a negotiation. I think we've proved that. And I think we just got a good deal for, for me. The most important part was that I felt like every type of player was taken care of in the negotiation, low salary guys, high salary guys, veterans that have been in the league a long time, foreign guys, homegrown guys. I think everybody, every different type of player within MLS felt good about their situation going forward after, which is very difficult to do with the disparity among players that we have throughout the league. Yeah. I, I, maybe it was just, seeing more reading more coverage of it this time around but certainly the last um last cba came out of it and i i distinctly remember everyone looking around being like that's it that's you got free agency for 28 year old guys that's uh um and but even in the lead up to this one seeing the amount of um prominent mls players speaking about it and like the seeing the amount um that they were kind of trying to organize their locker rooms and trying to get people all bought in. Um, you know, it, you, it didn't seem, uh, I guess it, it, it seems like there's a direct correlation between how much I saw the players prominently doing that and the messages being sent out and the end result, which is, you know, as, as you said, I was, I was curious how much of your priorities, but it sounds like basically all the priorities were hit at least in some fashion which is uh which is you know very very surprising to hear yeah i think i think some aspects of the last negotiation are not this most recent one but the one in 2015 that would have been i think some of that stuff gets i think we got caught a little bit in terms of a negative rollout with with some players being dissatisfied and stuff like that i think Mm -hmm. in the last negotiation to be able to get free agency with no work stoppage was the first time that's ever been done in north american sports so i think we got our foot in the door and a lot of different stuff, which I think was important that now looking forward one negotiation later when this most recent one, that free agency restrictions got really, really um, 
blown up basically where guys under the minimum can or guys under the max budget charge can basically access free agency at 25 and five. And I think that that different stuff like that is kind of gets lost in terms of we got our foot in the door there. And I think in this negotiation, there was other things where we were like, okay, let's just get our foot in the door there. That might be a next CBA issue where that's really where we start to figure that stuff out. So I think you kind of have to play the long game on some of the stuff, but I, I do think you're right as well that, Having a guy like Michael Bradley or Alejandro Bedoya has always been super involved in MLSB. So having guys that are high profile that have been on the national team that have had great careers and continue to be really good players, having those guys involved and voicing their opinions is important because at the end of the day, more guys are going to listen to what Michael Bradley has to say about something or more fans are going to listen to what Michael Bradley has to say about something because he has a much larger platform. So to have guys like him actively taking part is, is invaluable for us. And I think kind of across the player pool, we saw a really engaged group of guys. I think for me, the international guys, especially all the Latino guys, were super, super engaged. Hmm. The MLSPA has done a really good job of, of making sure that those guys feel included and that those guys understand that they're incredibly important to the league. I think they feel a renewed sense of ownership kind of of MLSPA, and they feel like they're really an important piece of it that has an important opinion to be heard. And there's only continues to be more Hispanic and Latino players in MLS. So I think that that's just going to continue to grow. And I think for MLSPA, we have to continue to make sure those guys' opinions and voices are heard, which I feel like they were. And I feel like having all those different voices involved can be difficult at times, but I think at the end of the day, most players have similar goals and aims about what they want out of things, no matter where you're from or, or what your salary is or how many years of experience you have. So that makes it, a little bit easier, even though there may be differing opinions on how to get there. Yeah. So let's um let's talk about the MLS season. Um, obviously none of us know what the hell's going on. So I'm just curious about your random guesses. <laughs> what do you think will happen? And <laughs> and then I guess what what do you think will happen? And and maybe what do you what would you like to see? Or I don't know. I'm I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on on what might uh, happen because we'll get something. I assume, but who knows? My hope is that we have the ability to play as many games as possible. Um, I think that's where most players are at right now, where it's just like, we want to play games, right? Like that's what I do. That's what I get a salary for. So I want to play games and I want people to be there because playing in an empty stadium is not ideal. But I think most of us also realize that we have to make sure that whatever we're doing is safe for players, for fans, for whoever's involved. So I think for me, the best solution that's been been slightly discussed is to kind of blow the back of the season out to the previous calendar where you're finishing up sometime in December. Um, If I had to guess, we're looking at a a huge fixture congestion, obviously, whenever we get back going. But I think guys sincerely want to play games and they want to be out there and they – want to give people something to watch and something to enjoy. And I don't know if there's fans involved. I don't know if it's a tournament in different location or what it really looks like. I think for MLS and for anyone right now, the most important thing is that you follow the guidelines of people that know more about this than you do. And I think the MLS doesn't probably have a infectious disease specialist or someone like that who can kind of tell them what's going to happen with the CDC or what the guidelines are going to be from whoever. So I think it's important for us to first and foremost, listen to those people 
and make sure that we understand the information that they're giving us. And then from that point forward, to try to maximize whatever we can via training, via games, via however fans can enjoy um, MLS and, and these games. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got nothing myself either. I just, I think about it and I think, uh, you know, uh, there's so many options going out there and none of them are good, but, um, but obviously we just need to all survive, survive whatever is going on for a little bit. I think Um, it's encouraging when you see, I mean, Bayern Munich was already doing their small group training sessions. So I think it's really encouraging to see countries in Europe um, and different places kind of start to get back to training and different things like that. Obviously we're in a little bit different of a situation in terms of how we dealt with flattening the curve and stuff than Germany and some of those other countries. Mm -hmm. But just to see a little bit of normalcy return there is a really bright sign, I think for MLS and for all professional sports here. And hopefully sooner than later, you at least get to the small group trainings or the playing empty stadium, whatever it is. Just I think we're all so hungry for soccer and MLS right now that we'll kind of take however we can get it right. Like I'll go train with a small group of three guys. And that's what I need to do. I'd rather do that than continue to work out on my own. I think most fans would rather watch, a game in an empty stadium than not have any soccer around at all. So we just got to get there as safely as possible and make sure that we're following guidelines. And I think as long as we can do that, hopefully there's some MLS this year to be had. Yeah. Do you, um, uh, final question here then is, uh, what, what, uh, what kind of media books, music or movies or Netflix or whatever, uh, have you been kind of keeping sane with that you can give us recommendations for? Um, so I just finished Dune actually, uh, the book. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge, uh, sci-fi fantasy guy, but I loved it. Uh, my brother gave it to me a while ago and I just hadn't really had time to crack into it. And I'm normally a very nonfiction book person. I just had previously read a book about all these Navy SEALs and this stuff. And I was kind of feeling like I'd gone too far down that path. I needed to kind of try (laughs) something different. So, uh, I read Dune. I loved it. It was really, really good. Um, we watched, Cassie and I watched Tiger King, which was an interesting experience, I would say. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty alarmed that he won 19% of the go- vote for governor. Uh, that's about my only takeaway from that. Uh, it got a little bit weird. Me and Cassie both kind of agreed that it, it slowed down significantly after the Carol Baskins murder episode, which it kind of just got sad after that, where it was like, what is going on with all these people? Yeah. Um, we watched uh, all of Mad Men. So we started that a while ago and then yeah. we just had a lot of time to kind of crush that out. Um, very good show that I would recommend. We watched uh, Parasite actually too, okay. uh, two weeks ago. We rented it on uh, Amazon or however you rent movies these days. And we watched it, which was fantastic. I would highly recommend it to anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, I'm about to read, just started talking to strangers, the new Malcolm Gladwell book, which is maybe not, the best thing, obviously, because I won't be interacting with any strangers right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's about all I got. What else have I been doing? Um, Duolingo is something I would recommend to everyone right now because you have free time. It's a really good way to try to learn Spanish. I was I saw Tommy Thompson basically is completely fluent in Spanish now from it after doing it for a little less than a year. So um, yeah, he did that uh that that um Instagram thing with Almeida, do it where they were doing um. Uh, Tommy was speaking in uh, in Spanish, and then Almeida would respond in English. Yeah, which is really cool. So I think, I think for me, especially as I've seen MLS grow, there's just more and more guys coming from Spanish speaking countries, and it's 
just a really good way to connect with your teammates by kind of being able to meet them at least halfway in terms of speaking a little bit of Spanish to them and trying to make them feel a little bit more at home. So I'll be doing a lot of Duolingo, um, doing a lot of house projects here. I think we're going to start uh, the TV show Succession at some point in the near future, which my family has <laughs> gotten on my back about for not watching yet. Uh, so we're going to start that soon. And then other than that, I think like most people, we're just trying to find as many things as possible to k- kill time. Cassie's family is big Canasta family. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Like our game is. So she's slowly integrating me into some one-on-one Canasta lessons because <laughs> I've been to many of their family reunions and I have no idea what's going on ever. So I, you know what? I think like not competing with a Coleman family is probably the safest way to survive it, uh, in my opinion. But that's that's probably <laughs> a good piece of advice, and I might remember that at some point in the near future when I'm headlocked by Brian after a game of Canasta. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Um, well, Eric, I want to say thank you for giving me your time. Uh, um, it's really great to hear from you. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, um, that you're surviving at least somewhat. Um, please take care of yourself. And, uh, and we look forward to, to seeing you um, back out on the pitch sometime. Uh, I don't know when, but sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Um, everyone out there, stay safe. Yeah.